worried about you. You're moving too fast. And I didn't get what he meant. And he said, you're just pushing too hard. Are you going to remember the feel of your mom's cheek? Are you going to remember laughing with your friends? Hey there, and welcome to Grit, True Stories That Matter. Grit is a weekly podcast about stories, the contemporary personal narrative kind of story, and the people that craft and tell them. Each week, a storyteller will tell one of their stories and then break it down with me, Sean. Why, you ask? Well, we want to feature these tellers and their stories, and also to help you, our listeners, craft and tell better, more engaging, more relatable, and more memorable stories. True stories personal stories, grit stories. We are smack dab in the middle of season two, dedicated entirely to women and their stories. And this is a different kind of episode because we are actually featuring three storytellers from our first in-person slam, which took place right here in Chapel Hill two Fridays ago, and it was great. We had seven tellers and a big supportive audience And today on episode number 37, you will hear three of those storytellers. Up first is our anonymous mystery teller. It's her first time telling a story live. As well as Kat Dean and Sharon Eisner. As always, check the show notes for upcoming events and classes. And I want to thank everybody who came out not only to the in-person slam, but has continually supported this podcast and all things grit. Thank you. You can help us out by letting people know about it and us. And also, if you listen on Apple, rate, review, subscribe. I know I say it a lot, but it really does help people find this podcast. Thanks for that. All right. Without further ado, let us dive in. So have you guys ever seen that movie, Booksmart, about the two obnoxious, overachiever high school girls that say no to everything fun? Yeah, so I have a little bit of that, I'm embarrassed to say. Um, It wasn't for a bad reason. I needed a scholarship to go to college, and I was hoping that my parents could repurpose what they had saved up for the ever-growing amount of medical bills that they had. Plus, on top of that, when my high school slipped to a horrible 96, I remember my dad's fit flying in my face while he grilled me on why I was tripping up. But when I got to college, things didn't change. I decided to juggle three jobs and research at the same time, both to pay for food, but also just because I was used to striving towards some kind of weird abstract achievement that I didn't know. And when I did get to go home and see my family for a break, and I wasn't in some sickly stupor from overworking at college, My dad and I had a favorite tradition, and we would make tea and sit on the front porch and just chat. And it always started out as like some sort of inane conversation, but then it morphed into a quintessential father-daughter heart-to-heart. And this one time, my dad started out with, I'm worried about you. You're moving too fast. And I didn't get what he meant. And he said, you're just pushing too hard. He said, Are you going to remember the feel of your mom's cheek? Are you going to remember laughing with your friends? Are you enjoying your time? And being who I was at the time, I tried to boil that down to some to-do list and still didn't get it. But the most iconic moment of my life happened not long after that, 
ironically, in a Walmart parking lot, of all places. And I hated the family weekend expeditions to Walmart and would show my disdain by joining my dad and goofing off and stretching our arms out slack-jawed and pretending that a horde of people migrating towards the warehouse were a bunch of crazy zombies. Um, but this time was different. This time, after helping my mom out of the car, I held on to her hand. And this was pretty normal for us. We were really close, and she was very fragile, so it was a chance for me to support her while we walked. Um, but this time was completely selfish. This time I wanted to see if I could sear that moment into my memory. And as we walked across the parking lot, I paid attention to how her skin felt cool and papery against mine, and it hung loosely around her bird-like bones, and how her knuckles felt like gnarled tree roots, and I felt her weight shift as she lumbered across the parking lot. I can still remember every part of that crystal clear. Years later, I was back home for another tea date with my dad, and I had recently finished my PhD and had actually done quite well, but not for any good reason. We had suffered the loss of my mom over the course of the second year, um, and the only way that I knew how to get through the grief and the loneliness was to just keep working hard. Um, and so my advisor, who's a famous scientist, was pushing me to take the next most aggressive career option and wanted me to go on working like that, like he did. And my dad said, what are you going to do? And in some ways, it seemed kind of attractive and glorious to go try and give everything to pursue um, accomplishments as a scientist. But I was completely sure. And I told my dad, I'm going to slow down. Nothing is worth giving up everything else. And for a very rare moment for my dad, he looked peaceful and he was silent. And in that moment, I realized that all the driving me to open doors that he had done when I was younger was just hoping that one day I might have the privilege of making a choice. And when he finally spoke, he said, I'm proud of you. You got it. Daisies in a beautiful cobalt blue vase. 
And, and I stopped and I kind of was looking at it, thinking that this was very nice. And I turned it a little and I realized, holy shit, this is not a vase, it is a bomb. <laughs> <laughs> My mother had made an arrangement of daisies in a bomb. <laughs> I, I can assure you she did not do this on purpose. For, for one thing, she has no sense of humor. <laughs> and she is the most straight-laced person on earth. She does not drink, she does not smoke, she does not cuss, she does not take Tylenol on the outside chance that you can get high from it. <laughs> and so I was like, I, I, I've got to tell her. I just, so I'm like, Mom, come here for a second. And that arrangement, and she's like, yeah, isn't that beautiful? I found that base in your dad's office. <laughs> later. Just, you don't know, it is beautiful, but that is not a vase. It's a bomb. She's just looking at me kind of like blankly, and I'm like, it's a bomb. It's for a, it's for smoking marijuana. Still nothing. Just nothing there. So I'm like, well, here you put the weed right there. And you, you, oh, freaking, I just trust me, it's drug paraphernalia. And then I see this click. She's like, but it's so pretty. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I think I'll keep it. All right, so like if my elderly mother wants a bong full of daisies <laughs> on her table at her husband's funeral, well, my, right? So I'm like, okay, that's fine. And every few minutes after that, I would hear as one of my other siblings noticed it too and was like, everyone, by the way, except for my brother, who was studiously pretending he did not know what a bong was. Yeah, he did. Um, but my other siblings would be like, Mom, Mom, come here. And I'd hear the explanation, and I'd see her nodding. And she'd say, I like it. I'm going to keep it. So that's how it came to be that when all the guests came in, there was a bongulously glorious bouquet of flowers stuck in drug paraphernalia, front and center, greeting everybody. And for the rest of the afternoon, I, we would see, as people eventually made their way to the table, and you see them look at it, <laughs> turn it, like, and then they would look around to see, is anybody seeing what I'm seeing? <laughs> and my sister and I, the younger sister and I, whenever we saw it, we, we laughed because, you know what, that's funny because we now know who of my dad's executive friends knew what a bong was, <laughs> and they knew we possessed a bong. And when I look back on this day, and it was a sad day, um, I do not remember what a single preacher said. And I don't remember what any of his friends said, except for I kind of thought I remembered that one of his friends talked about blackberry bushes, but I have no idea what that was about. What I do remember is this little inside joke between my father and his family, because I guarantee you he would have thought that was hilarious. <laughs> and it, it occurs to me you can try to hide who you are from the world. You can try. But eventually, they're going to see you for who you are. So go ahead and embrace that. So raise your hand if you
Are you sweet? Are you lovely? Are you nice? <laughs> Me too! Oh my god. But, you right? But, I gotta say, I have an inner bitch. I met her when I was 30, exactly, like on my birthday. And I'd like to just share the moment when my inner bitch came out and I was so delighted. A moment of great fun. Have y'all ever made anybody cry, like on purpose? Because I hadn't either. Super fun, turns out. So it was in Disney World to celebrate my 30th birthday with my best friend Dina, who came down from New York. And we were there for three days. Third day was my birthday. And we just did everything. We rode every ride. We rode the freaking, what is it called? Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. We rode the roller coasters. We splashed. We took pictures with. Uh, what's the dog that can't talk? Pluto? Is that the dog? Okay. And then we, we, we got a picture with Prince Charming, and we just did everything. We went to dinner with like Cinderella's whole family somehow. I don't know exactly how that happened, but anyway, we were doing it. And the third day, afternoon of the third day, we're walking around. And look back up a second. That morning, the strap of my purse had broken, which is really no big deal. It happens. Left my purse in the car. And I took a Disney bag, which were plentiful because I bought so many things, and uh, took this Disney bag and I put a couple things in it. And I walked around for the day instead of a purse. I had a Disney bag, a plastic Disney bag. But one of the things I put in was my brush. And it starts poking through when the bag starts tearing. So by the time we get to afternoon, the bag is tearing. So, no big deal. I walk up to a kiosk. I see someone who says his name is Chris, tall white guy named Chris. I said, hey, Chris, could I please have a plastic bag? Mine is here. And he said, I'm sorry, dude. We don't get plastic bags. We only get them with purchase. And I'm like, look at me. I'm like wearing mouse ears, tinkerbell earrings, and a Pooh Bear shirt. I am purchased. Like, I just want to purchase. I said, in this bag, like, look in this bag, or other purchases. I'm just asking for a bag. Like, I honestly thought, you know, he's making a mistake. And he's like, I'm sorry, ma'am. That is not our policy. And I'm like, it, oh, dear. This is like, you got, you, this guy doesn't know his job. So I said, well, let me, can I talk to your supervisor? The supervisor comes over, Tori. Tall, white, blonde woman named Tori. She says, can I help you, ma'am? How can I help you? I said, you can help me. Yes. I just need a bag. Look, my bag's ripping in. I'm just asking for a bag. She says, I'm sorry, ma'am. We don't give bags. We only get bags with purchases. And I look around, and I'm like, the cheapest thing at the kiosk was like $15. Now, I don't care about the $15, but I was getting pissed. And I couldn't do anything. Couldn't do anything. But that was the rule. That was the deal. I wanted to go off on this lady. I wanted to say, Please excuse me if you don't like her sake. This is a good time to cover your ears. I wanted to say, are you fucking shitting me? For fuck's sake, I have spent hundreds of dollars in this goddamn fucking park. Look at me. I said, are you not going to give me a goddamn fucking plastic bag? Do you think there's a camera somewhere and your boss is going to fucking fire you for making me happy? I didn't say that because I... I I just didn't know what to do. So I was just like, okay. And I 
walked away. And my friend Dina was beside me. And she started talking to me, and her mouth was moving like this. And I couldn't hear what she was saying. Because I was so flooded with anger. And then all of a sudden, it was like, oh! Light bulb went off in my head. Turned out to be my inner bitch. And I turned around. And I walked back to Tori. Excuse me, Tori? Oh, yes. Take out my wallet. Take out my driver's license. Now remember, this is the 90s. I take out my driver's license, which says Sharon R. Eisner. E-I-S-A-E-R. And I said, you know, in all my years of coming to Disney, I have never had to do this. I am Sharon Eisner. I am Michael Eisner's niece. And I want you to know why you're going to get fired. <laughs> and I turned around. And I walked away. And Dina looked back and she said, Sharon, she's crying. <laughs> and I said, good. <laughs> I was nice a lot of times in my life. I never had that much satisfaction from being nice. That was my I am not Michael Eisner's niece. I've never met him. <laughs> but if you have not yet met your inner bitch, be you male or female, or anything you are, I highly recommend it. As always, thanks so much for listening and all of your support. Special thanks to all of our storytellers who came out for our first in-person slam. And the three that we featured here. Number one, anonymous mystery teller, Kat Dean, who was our judges winner, and Sharon Eisner, who was our audience winner. Check the show notes for upcoming events and workshops. And that is all for episode number 37. Boom.